Are you a hybrid athlete who wants to learn more about how to combine your strength and endurance training? Well, I've written a new book, The Science of Hybrid Training. In this book, I provide insight into the misconceptions surrounding strength and endurance training by distilling the past 50 years of research and drawing on the conversations I had with great scientists, coaches, and athletes on the Progress Theory podcast. This book is essential reading for hybrid athletes and coaches who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to The Progress Theory, where we discuss scientific principles for optimizing human performance. I am Dr. Phil Price, and on today's episode, we are joined by hybrid athlete and coach, Alec Blenis. It's easier to understand the programming going into strength and endurance sports individually. However, hybrid programming is a little bit more complex, and that's what makes it so exciting. However, what's the best hybrid programming recommendations? In this episode, Alec discusses his journey into hybrid training, his current goals, and what he has learned so far. On top of that, we discuss how to dissect your hybrid goals so you know how to program, and how do we balance strength and endurance training. But before we get into the episode, I just want to tell you a little bit about our sponsors, because without them, this podcast would not be possible. I wanted to express my gratitude to my production partner, Cult Media. Cult Media has been instrumental in the development and success of The Progress Theory. They have created brand guides, comprehensive podcast strategies, enhanced the podcast production, developed custom workflows for me, and edited and mixed all of the video, audio, and social media content. Cult Media's simple coach, create, and collaborate process has saved me hundreds of hours in podcast production, resolved countless technical issues, and consistently helped me to improve my podcasting game. So if you want to establish and engage your audience or are ready to launch your own podcast, head to www.cult.media, that's cult with a K, to learn more. Also, thank you to Human24, fueling human potential and optimizing everyday human performance and well-being. The supplement range at Human24 not only helps improve your lifestyle, it optimizes it. The Human24 products are designed to fit around your circadian rhythms from the moment you wake up to key moments in the day when you need optimal focus to getting the best night's sleep. There is a product to optimize each phase of the day. My personal favorite is the Live On Form Pack, consisting of the products Rise, Flow, and Pre-Sleep. Rise is for the morning, and it's my absolute favorite. It's a drink that tastes amazing, it hydrates me, and improves my focus to win the morning. At 2 p.m., I take Flow, which is a caffeine-free nootropic, perfect for improving alertness and concentration during that mid-afternoon slump. And finally, I take pre-sleep just before bed, which is a comprehensive nighttime complex, perfect to support a performance-driven lifestyle. Check out the website www.hmn24.com for all their products, articles, and links to their awesome podcast for those wanting to learn more about human performance. You can even check out the episode I did with them. I thoroughly enjoyed my chat with Phil Lerney, co-founder of Human24, and it has led to an awesome collaboration with Human24 supporting the progress theory. 
If you want a 10% discount on all Human24 products, head to their website via the links in our Instagram bios, The Progress Theory, or my personal Instagram account at DrPhilPrice, or use the code PhilPrice at checkout. As always, follow and subscribe to The Progress Theory on Instagram, YouTube, and check out all of our other episodes. Here is Alec Blennis. Alec, how are we? I'm doing well, Phil. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to the Progress Theory. I know you're busy training for a particular event at the moment, so uh, thank you for taking the time in your busy schedule to come speak with us, especially everything hybrid training. And you know, I've seen your Instagram, you put out so much valuable information, so it would be really good to delve into that a little bit more. Yeah, I'm excited to get to, to talk about hybrid training and talk about Murph and all that good stuff. Yeah, before um, we get into that, do you want to tell the viewers a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a hybrid athlete. I'm a coach. I've been coaching with a company called Complete Human Performance for, gosh, close to, close to a decade at this point. Uh, my original background, uh, I was a, one of the first members of the Spartan Race Pro Team. So I uh, raced on the Spartan Pro Circuit for a number of years, um, got into ultra running, did a number of like 50 plus mile uh, mountain races, that kind of thing. Um, and then dabbled in CrossFit and strength slash physique sports a little bit as well. Um, so I've done a little bit of everything. Um, and at this point, I continue to try to pursue a, a little bit of, of all those different avenues. Most recently, I set the world record for the fastest Murph. Um, so the famous Memorial Day workout, the one mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, one mile run. I set the record for that last year. Uh, and I'm going after it again this year in, in hopes of improving my time. So that's a bit about me. No, that's, that's really awesome. What made you want to go for Murph? Um, you know, Murph is one of those workouts, you know, it's a, it's a hero wad, you know, so it's, it's an honor of, of Lieutenant Michael Murphy, which is super cool. And it's been part of the CrossFit tradition for a number of years now. Um, so I've done variations of the workout a, a number of times over the years, but I had never tried to do the, the weighted and unpartitioned version. So unpartitioned meaning doing all, all of the pull-ups before moving on to all of the push-ups, et cetera. Uh, as opposed to breaking it up into to chunks as, as people often do. So last year I had seen a fellow racer, fellow Spartan racer, um, Hunter McIntyre had set the world record for the unpartitioned Murph with a time of, I believe, 34, 13. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I should, I should try that. And having raced against Hunter a number of times, I knew he was always the superior athlete, right? Like I had raced with him or, or close to him, but I'd never actually bested him in a competition. So I kind of put his time up there as, you know, maybe I'll get close to that or, or whatever um, last Memorial Day. And to my surprise, I actually beat it by a couple of seconds unofficially on Memorial Day. It's like, well, that was kind of a shock to me, right? So then I organized an official record attempt just a couple weeks later and ended up actually taking two minutes off the time. So I kind of stumbled into it. I didn't have any plans initially to set the Murph World Record. Um, I was just doing Murph on Memorial Day with everyone else. And I'd seen what Hunter had done and set that as a target. And when I realized that I could beat it, I figured, you know, I got to make it official now. Now, that's wicked. Nice progression. Just going from, oh, I'm doing it because I enjoy it to all of a sudden, actually, I can do something really good here. And you start beating times. How's training going for your next attempt? The training's going um, really well. I had a, a little bit of a snag a couple weeks ago. I, I got sick. I don't know if it was COVID or what. I, I didn't have testing for it, but it just made cardio feel awful for a couple of weeks. Um, but the strength side has been progressing really, really nicely. Some of my runs haven't gone as well as I'd hoped, um, but I did a practice run or a dress rehearsal just this last weekend and actually took 40 seconds off my best time from last year. 
I was a little bit sore from that, but all in all, it wasn't too bad. Um, so now the, the taper period begins. Uh, we're seven days out right now. So I had a, a nice workout this morning and things are basically getting easier from here. So setting that record or beating my record in training this weekend was a nice confidence boost. So now I just got to trust that the fitness is still there a week from now and hope that the weather turns out and all that good stuff on competition day. What changes did you make to training in comparison to your last attempt? What did you feel like you needed to progress on to knock those seconds off? Yeah, last year, you know, I hadn't actually put in a ton of specific training, right? Because I was just kind of going into Murph on Memorial Day with everyone else, just kind of doing the training you always do. And, oh, it's Memorial Day, so we're going to do this workout, right? And then when I realized that I could set the record, I did just a couple weeks of kind of practice workouts for it, pacing, strategizing, that kind of thing. Uh, but I really only had two or three weeks of training before last year's record attempt. This year, I've been thinking about it since probably February. You know, I've been training for 16 solid weeks with a, a big emphasis on Murph. So a lot more pre-fatigued running. So a lot of doing, you know, lots of high volume squats, et cetera, immediately before runs. A lot more just body weight stuff and muscular endurance stuff in general. So the training in, overall has been much more focused on Murph and much more focused on kind of those longer hero wad type workouts in general this year. Um, so I would hope that my fitness all in all would be a little bit better. The one thing that I feel is not is, is the running just hasn't felt as good as I would have liked. Um, but overall, muscular endurance is, is better this year. More than anything, I've improved even more on the push-ups, which I think is really how I got the record last year. My push-ups were much better than, better than Hunter's. And then in my practice around this weekend, I took another minute and a half or so off my, my push-up split. So chest training has gone very, very well just by focusing a lot more on on those push-ups mm. that's what we like to hear when chest training goes well <laughs> yep <laughs> have you aimed for a specific uh, split time with your runs so for example you want to hit a, a specific split time with your your uh, first mile and second mile and your training has kind of been just over and just below that depending on what the aim of the session was yeah, so you know the run the run splits for Murph are not terribly fast compared to an all out effort, right? It's realistically a fairly small portion of the overall overall event, uh, and you can easily easily go too hard um, for a number of reasons. One thing I've really noticed is when you're when you run hard enough and you get kind of that surge of blood into your legs as you know your body's trying to get those legs moving blood leaves other parts of your body, right? So all the blood is in your legs to support that run. And all of a sudden you go to do a set of pull-ups and you have no blood in your arms. And you're basically doing like blood flow restriction training, right? Like you're trying to jump into those hundred pull-ups and all of your blood is in your lower body. And all of a sudden pull-ups are much, much tougher than you're accustomed to. And I found that by backing off the pace on the runs and it feels much more comfortable, I'm able to redirect that blood flow, get into some of the upper body endurance sets and they just feel much, much easier um, so overall, in terms of pacing, I'm typically running that first mile around like a 5 to 10K effort, um, if not a little bit slower with the weight vest. Um, so if I was going to run a mile all out with the weight vest on, I might do a uh, 5.15 or something like that. I'll probably run closer to a six-minute mile, um, which is it's certainly not easy, uh, but it shouldn't be too much of a strain. That allows me to jump into those pull-ups and feel really, really good right out of the gate. What I saw, even with Hunter's uh, record attempt uh, or record setting run in, in 2020 was he went out really, really hard on the run on the pull-ups as well. And then kind of burned out. I think his upper body just got e exhausted. So my pacing strategy is much different. I start off pretty easy. 
I think some of the people watching last year's record attempt were nervous for me, just seeing how slow I was moving early on, um, thinking I might not get it, but then it progressively gets faster and I kind of fly through the push-ups and the squats uh, and end up having a fair amount of energy left for the, for the second run. My goal this year is to run the first mile around six minutes and then hopefully the second mile around six or maybe 6.30, depending on how fatigued I am. How much of a difference does going petitioned or unpetitioned make to Murph? Oh, it's a huge difference. It's, it's a completely different workout. So for me, partitioned with the weight vest might be a 22-minute workout or so. Unpartitioned, maybe a 30 to 32-minute workout. So talking like a 10-minute difference or so, mm. um, which you know, in a workout of that duration is, is a pretty substantial percentage. So partition is much, much faster. You know, you're doing the same total workload, but in much less time. So it's a much more intense cardiovascular stimulus for me. Uh, it's much more exhausting, much more sweaty, just all in all more painful, I would say. The unpartitioned format, uh, it becomes much, much more about just the muscular endurance to keep those, those sets moving quickly. And to be honest, it's a little bit anxiety inducing in the sense it's like, okay, this is my strategy. This is how quickly I want to do these push-ups. I hope I can, <laughs> right? Um, hopefully I don't burn out. Hopefully I don't reach that point of fatigue. But all in all, like for example, the push-ups have been taking me about six minutes. It's not terribly difficult, right? Like I'm doing very quick sets of eight. I'm catching my breath. I'm not very winded at that point. It's just kind of like finger, fingers crossed that my chest, shoulders, and triceps don't fall apart on me. Um, and then of course it gets really painful again for the, the final run, but you kind of have that, that middle phase during the body weight movements where you're not particularly tired. You're just kind of trusting the training, hoping for the best, sticking to your strategy. Um, and it's really only painful kind of a little bit towards the end. Um, but partition is a whole different ball game. It, it's just pure pain the, <laughs> the entire time. Hmm. With, with the partition, did you have to build up that large number of pull-ups, for example, by, I don't know, starting off with a set of three, very short rest, set of three, very short rest, just to avoid the musculature involved with the pull-ups, just pulling, and then all of a sudden they just can't generate that force production as well. And then did you like then build it up over time? So then you were like, okay, I can either manipulate the rest period or I can manipulate go four reps every time or five reps and just build up. Cause I know you mentioned you do like sets of eight. I wonder if you had you built up to that level and you know, that's a, a almost like a pull up pace you can sustain over that many pull ups. Yeah. So I've tried a, a different, you know, a number of different pacing strategies for, for the push ups and the pull ups trying to find that sweet spot in terms of how many reps per set. And then what's the rest between sets and all of, all that kind of thing. Um, the pull-ups, I find I get into a little bit more of a, a rhythm, if you will. There's kind of an energetic cost to starting a set of, of good kipping or butterfly pull-ups. Um, so I didn't want to have to do too many sets and waste the energy of, of getting down from the bar, jumping back to the bar, et cetera. Um, so I figured, what's, what's the most I can do in a set without running the risk of fatigue? And I settled on sets of 10 for the most part for pull-ups. Um, so right now, my strategy is 10 sets of 10 on the pull-ups with one set every 20 seconds. And I've also wow. built in a little bit of margin for error on that one. So if I have to take an extra set or two to get those done, that's where I've allotted myself a little bit of time. For the push-ups, last year, for the record, I did 40 sets of five. Um, very, very quick sets of five. It'd be like five very quick reps, take a breath, another five reps, take a breath kind of thing. Um, so it was five reps every 12 seconds on average, which ends up being about 25, 25 or so per minute. So eight minutes worth of work if you stick to that that pace all the way through. This year, 
Um, I just tried out, trying to save a little bit of time, 25 sets of eight with eight reps every 15 seconds, which has been like 32 per minute or so. I ended up getting those done in, in just over six minutes. So definitely a faster pace than the push-ups, but I've experimented with a, with a lot of strategies. The key is keeping it very submaximal, and you should stay very far away from you know as many as you can do in a set. With the weight best on, if I just did one set as many as possible in push-ups, for instance, I could probably do between 70 and 90, maybe 70 and 100 reps or so. But if I decided to just do one big set of, of 50 or 60 to start, I'd be completely wrecked, right? And then I would struggle and take, you know, 10, 15 minutes to finish out the rest of them. Um, so you really got to focus on quick, efficient movements, small sets that are not fatiguing, um, and then just kind of try to keep those rest breaks short. I love how it's, you've broken the, the sport down. It's like Murph is the sport here. And you've broken it down to the point where, okay, there are a number of different ways to achieve this, but which is the most optimal way. And through trial and error and training, you found that way, which I think is absolutely wicked. And I really hope that you break the record again. And I'll be keeping, I'll keep a lookout on Instagram to make sure that, make sure that you do it. I can't wait to see it. Thank you very much. Yeah. And at this point, I feel like the, the expression, you know, the hay is in the barn or that the training has been done, just have to trust that it's all going to come through for me. You know, there's always factors outside of my control and whatnot. There's, mm. there's weather and all, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but I feel really good about it. I'm excited. My strategy is will hopefully pay off. But we'll see. It all goes down Monday, May 30th around noon uh, Central Time. Brilliant. I'll keep an eye out. How did you get into hybrid training? Because I know you said that you started in the OCR world and then you went to ultra endurance, which seems to be quite common. People get into running or running sports and then they extend it to the longer longer races. From then, it's when you started doing CrossFit and you started incorporating more strength elements to your training, which has led to this sort of hybrid style. What was it about hybrid training that made you think, actually, I don't really just want to run here. I want to do a number of things. What got you into hybrid training? Yeah, you know, I think it goes back all the way to being like a kid, right? Like middle school sports and everything. Hybrid training, people used to just call exercise, right? Like it's, it's strength and conditioning. Like we make it this new kind of complicated niche sport, uh, but people have been exercising and doing a, a wide variety of things for a long time. The kind of newer, more odd thing to do is to specialize. Be like, no, I'm not going to do all this stuff. I'm just going to run. Like to me, that's kind of the weirder, weirder thing. Uh, but when I was growing up, I played a number of sports. Like I did, I did football, I did cross country, track and field soccer, wrestling, right? And I didn't really care if I was good at it. For example, I was not a great football player, as, as many people could probably imagine based on my, <laughs> my size. But it was, it was fun, right? Like I liked going out with my friends. I liked going into the weight room with the football team, like all this kind of stuff. So I would do that one season. I would do cross country one season. I would bounce around between, the, between these sports. And I didn't really want to, to pick one. I just kind of kept doing it all. And it's like, I may not be great at any of the stuff, but like, it's just, fun, it's just fun to do. And I kind of was the theme throughout high school and college. I started to, I guess, specialize a little bit. I kind of gravitated more naturally to the track and field and cross country side of things, but I kept doing the strength training. And then I stumbled across uh, Spartan race uh, and saw, saw races going on nearby and thought it looked fun. And I think just the background that i had had in some of those other sports, like football and wrestling and that kind of thing, I was stronger than most of the cross country and track guys. I wasn't super strong by any means, but stronger than most people my speed. Um, so when I came across that first obstacle race in uh, 2011, 
Um, I actually did really well. I podiumed. I got third place at my first event and I was hooked. I was like, this is super cool. This is super fun. I love the combo. So I ended up actually not doing school sports at that point anymore. I was like, I want to run Spartan race. I want to do obstacle course racing. This is the funnest thing ever. And that was basically my entry into hybrid training. I think I ran like 25, 30 events in like my first year or something, just going around the country and, and doing them all. And then from there, just hybrid athletics uh, has since exploded um, past OCR. So like you can get high, high rocks, for example, that could fit. And then of course you got CrossFit, which is a, a whole different breed of hybrid training. So there's so many different avenues that you can, you know, use to explore this combination of strength and speed and endurance. You know, the, the possibilities are really endless. Yeah, definitely. It's so easy to see the appeal, isn't it? In the UK, a lot of people, you know, in their teens and their 20s, say for guys, play rugby, they play football, and they come to the end of their careers. And then it gets to a point where, well, I want to continue being, you know, being an athlete, I need something competitive to make sure that it helps me with my training. It helps me develop goals. But I don't really want to, I'm not going to be elite to anything, I would like to try a number of different things. And by doing that, you need a wide range of physical qualities to be able to do that. So a lot of people seem to gravitate to this type of hybrid training, but very much like you said, strength and conditioning. It's uh, being very, being strong and conditioned. So I can I can see why it's so popular. And I think, you know, CrossFit has taken advantage of that. We've got high rocks. We've got a number of different things that are now, you know, there's a huge amount of people that want to be competitive in this space. And so many, you know, so many companies have created almost like sports to cater for that. So it's really quite exciting to see, one, the cultural side of it and how it's exploding, but two, also to see how far we can go with this idea of, you know, how strong can you be and how fit can you be? And things like your Murph attempts and people like Fergus Crawley doing powerlifting and, and ultra endurance stuff, you know, they're really testing the human limits. And I think it's just a really, really exciting uh, space at the moment. So it's always nice to hear different people's origin stories and how they got into it i think it's great because it makes to me it makes fitness more accessible for the general public when you see a lot of people look at certain sports if we if we rewind 10 20 years ago you'd look at someone who is considering you know getting into weightlifting or powerlifting and they're like well i don't want to do that because like those guys can't even climb up a flight of stairs without getting winded and i don't know if that's really healthy or whatever and then like well i don't do marathoning because you know those people all break their knees or they're too skinny or, or whatever. And there's always these, these things that people don't want to give up. You know, they don't want to do this sport because they don't want to give up this, or they don't want to do this sport because they don't want to give up that. But now with the rise of, of hybrid training, there's not really that, that excuse. How far do you think hybrid athletes can go? Where do you see it going? I asked Evan Pikem the same question on the previous episode. Uh, and people are, you know, hitting out like 250 kilo squats and doing ultra marathons on the same day. Where do you think it could go? Do you think it could be very similar to like, okay, here's Murph. What are the record times? Here's this particular challenge. What is the record times for that? Where do you think the human, limits of human performance could go? Yeah, I feel like uh, to ask how far hybrid training can go is almost an impossible question given how many different directions it can go, right? I think a lot of people, when they, they think about the, the limits of human performance in terms of hybrid training, they think of extreme strength and extreme endurance because people naturally want to think about the extremes. Um, so they're like, how heavy could someone deadlift or like some sort of powerlifting or strongman type endeavor um, with like an ultra marathon, which is certainly a very cool, you know, um, way to, to go about hybrid training. 
but I don't think that's necessarily any more extreme or impressive than, um, for example, a, a high level crossfitter that can still, you know, do a hundred pull-ups and snatch X amount of weight and, and whatever. To me, that's just as extreme and impressive and cool, even if it doesn't necessarily span the, uh, the extremes in terms of absolute weight lifted or, or distance run or, or whatever. Um, so there's so many different directions that hybrid training can go, uh, but it's, to me, it's almost impossible to ask how far can it go just given that endless variety. If I had to think of something that would be particularly challenging, I would think combining some sort of very high power explosive sport like Olympic weightlifting uh, with some sort of very endurance focused and high impact thing like running. So combining like a hundred mile run with a very impressive uh, snatch and clean and jerk or something like that. I think that'd be a, a very tough combo in the hybrid training space. But as I said, there's so much variety. I think it'll be very interesting to see all the cool combinations that people come up with. Yeah, definitely. Why do you think weightlifting plus the 100 miler would be particularly uh, impressive? Is that because of the high threshold motor units that are required for such an explosive lift? And then all of a sudden you're doing all this huge, a huge volume of training to be able to run 100 miles, which will probably start to fatigue those high threshold motor units. So, you know, you've got this crossover effect. Is that why you think that's probably why or one of the reasons why that would be an impressive feat? Yeah, I think that those two adaptations, so like a lot of the, the adaptations surrounding rate of force production and, and motor unit recruitment um, are somewhat antagonistic some of the, to some of the endurance adaptations, more so than just maximal force production, I would say, and more so than hypertrophy. Um, everyone is always like, you know, cardio kills your gains and you can't get big while doing endurance training and all that kind of stuff. And while there's, you know, an element of truth to all of these types of things, you can certainly still get, get very big and maintain significant lean mass while engaged in endurance training. I'd say that's less of an issue than maintaining your strength. And then maintaining your strength is less of an issue, less of an issue even still compared to maintaining your maximal rate of force production and explosive power. Um, to me, that's the thing that takes the, the quickest hit, especially when dealing with the, the fatigue of endurance training. When you start ramping the mileage up and getting, like, getting a little bit tired, the first thing that I see go or the first fitness attribute that I see kind of take a hit is that explosive power. So to me, being able to manage those two things successfully, if we could see someone make it to say the national level in Olympic weightlifting while running ultra marathons, I think that'd be extremely, extremely impressive. That would be really, really cool to see. One second they're on the international stage, weightlifting the next minute they're, they're running through the mountains <laughs> on a hundred miler with a backpack. Right. <laughs> with hybrid training, which, uh, what mistakes do you think people often make? Is it the whole, okay, here's a weightlifting program and here's a marathon program. I'm just going to add these together and just uh, see how I go. Is it, are there common mistakes people make when trying to combine developing strength and endurance simultaneously? Yeah, that's a huge one um, for sure, especially when people are starting out. Um, and especially, especially so if you're coming from more of the strength side, um, so if you have a decent strength background, if you've been a weightlifter or a powerlifter or done bodybuilding, whatever, and you decide that you want to be a hybrid athlete now, and you're like, I'm just going to keep doing this really intense, you know, bodybuilding program, whatever it is. I'm going to keep doing that and then add this marathon program on top. And then, you know, three weeks later, they're like, yeah, cardio kills your gains. That, that didn't work. It's like, well, well, obviously not. You know, you can't just take a, a high level strength routine that you've been building up to for, for decades and then throw another an entire another sport training program on top of it, uh, that's easily going to be too much, especially for someone that has limited aerobic capacity. On the flip side, if you're coming from more of the endurance background, 
you might be able to get away with kind of just like throwing a bunch, <laughs> bunch of volume at yourself and, and kind of figuring it out a little bit better. Probably still not ideal, but it'd be a little bit easier to come from that side of things. But that's for sure a huge mistake when people are starting out is they think that they can just combine two different programs and that's going to be sufficient. But especially when you're not used to hybrid training, you're going to have to kind of temper your expectations a little bit, do a little bit less volume of each program, um, progress on that for a while. Given enough time, you may actually be able to ramp up that volume considerably and eventually reach a point where it does look like just two programs put together. You know, someone that doesn't realize how much work you've put in they might look at your training program and be like, well, how are you managing all of this volume? It seems insane. That much would break me. It's like, well, it, you know, it would break you initially, but it is something you can build to. Um, so just knowing that that kind of takes time to adapt, adjust, be able to manage that fatigue, build up your work capacity and recovery capabilities, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's a huge mistake. Another huge mistake is just people not knowing how to structure their training week. Um, and they go into certain workouts really, really tired or really, really exhausted. They work they think that just because they're putting in all of the work, um, doing all the workouts, et cetera, that they're going to get the results. But, you know, if you're doing a 10, 15 mile trail run, you're exhausted. And then you try to go to the gym a couple hours after that and do your heavy squats. You're, you're probably just not going to feel good, and not get a lot out of it. So that potentially is a less common mistake than just doing too much volume overall. But people do make some mistakes in terms of structuring their workouts, ending up too tired, ending up exhausted and just not getting good quality out of the training sessions. Yeah, that I've seen that quite a lot, especially in terms of managing their week. Because I think with hybrid training, one of the most important things is managing fatigue. Ultimately, there are probably certain sessions where you know you're going to be pre-fatigued and there might be a reason why they're pre-fatigued. Or you might distinguish between sessions where you really need to be fresh and sessions which are kind of sub-maximal and are kind of building up the volume so it doesn't matter if there's some overarching fatigue from another hot session which is uh, which may affect that session but you're not going maximal in that session anyway so you don't really notice it i see that quite a lot on the week weekly basis but i think the most difficult thing with that is trying to manage it on like a, a monthly or even a yearly basis what advice would you give someone that is looking to do hybrid training and maintain levels of fatigue that they progress almost linearly without having, you know, oh, I've done really good for eight weeks. This is great. And then they just absolutely bonk because they've just thrown a load of uh, volume in and it gets to a point where their bodies just, just can't cope and they start to either break down in performance or it might lead to some kind of injury. What kind of yeah, what kind of advice would you give for long-term programming and managing fatigue? Well, overall, I think people often have a misunderstanding about the entire concept of progressive overload, right? So the idea that as you adapt to a particular stressor, as you get fitter, that basically training needs to stay challenging so that you can continue to adapt. Um, and I think people misinterpret that and they think that means they need to put more weight on the bar every week or they need to run further every week, et cetera but it really simply means that training has to remain challenging. And that's all there is to it. It doesn't mean that you have to always progress um, some particular factor. It doesn't mean you have to always add volume or add weight or, or whatever. It just means that based on the fitness level that you have, is your training program continuing to challenge you in some way? And when you think about a lot of adaptations like um, aerobic fitness, for example, or hypertrophy, those adaptations happen very slowly. You know, you're not gaining 10 pounds of muscle between now and next month. It'd be great if we could, it's not going to happen. Same thing with, with aerobic fitness. You know, if your VO2 max is, is 60 right now, it's probably going to be 60 plus or minus a couple of points for a long time. It's probably not going to be 70 by next month. 
So when you account for that and you think, okay, a lot of these fitness adaptations are changing very, very slowly. I shouldn't expect my training to have to change all that much either to continue to challenge me. But people will have this idea of, you know, progressive overload in their head and they're like, well, I need to put more weight on the bar. Or I ran 30 miles last week, I'm around 35 this week. And they just continue to push and push and push despite the actual fitness changing extremely slowly. And they just inevitably inevitably push to a point, to a breaking point um, where they either need some sort of extended deload or back off period or, or whatever. They probably wouldn't have been needed in the first place if they just realized my fitness is is moving very slowly. So my, change, my training probably should too. Um, so when you get that training plan dialed in to a point where you're like, okay, I feel good. I'm making progress. Don't change it. <laughs> just stay there for a while. Um, you might see some subtle, subtle improvements. You might add some weight here and there or whatever. Um, but by and large, when you find that training program that's working for you and is allowing you to manage your fatigue successfully, don't try to change it too much. Just run with it for a long time. Because if you have that mindset of, you know, excessive progressive overload where you're constantly adding and adding and adding, you will reach that breaking point. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I've seen so much of that. People see the mesocycles of, you know, increasing, whether it be volume or intensity, week one, then you increase it for week two, if we, for week three, then you deload and you just repeat that. But they're so focused on that increase and in whatever variable that they're focused on that they just end up adding more and more. And you never know if you've um, adapted from the previous week because you've just made all these big changes uh, and putting the body under a huge amount of new stress. Whereas, you know, if you did the same training program for two weeks in a row, you're probably going to see a progression, even though you haven't really changed much. I think Alex Viada made a Instagram post not too long ago about that, about keeping very similar training programs or making very, very small changes because you're going to improve by just doing the work anyway. Uh, and by doing that, you then avoid overloading yourself in the long term. Right. And especially for a, for a hybrid athlete who's managing all these different variables, you know, different types of workouts, fatigue, all this kind of stuff, um, relying on auto-regulation strategies, whether it's using RPE or RIR as opposed to just fixed percentages of one rep max and like you can do 75% to 78% now 82% or whatever, instead of having those fixed percentages and planned progressions, just telling someone work up to, you know, a, a heavy set of two ensure you have good bar speed. Some kind of things like that allow people to kind of have that progression mapped out based on how they're actually feeling and adapting to the training program, as opposed to assuming that they're going to adapt in a certain way and potentially progressing either too quickly or too slowly or, or just in a way that's not appropriate for them. Uh, so I'm a huge fan of just using RPE or RAR or other more subjective uh, intensity scales and that kind of thing to ensure that people aren't trying to do too much or increase too quickly. Actually, that was going to be my next question. Do you use RPE or RIR? Do you use RPE for both your strength and endurance work? Yeah. Um, so and RPE and RIR, really, they, they seek to measure the same thing. You know, they're, they're measuring effort in some kind of way. I find for a lot of beginners, they are often confused by RPE. You know, when you explain the concept, they're like, they view it as almost too subjective or, or not accurate enough or whatever which there may be some elements of truth to that. I'm not too worried about it generally in, in the long run, but I find that explaining RIR to someone who's just kind of starting out and explaining what intensity means, explaining the concept of an effective set, I find RIR makes a lot more intuitive sense to people um, when they're first starting out. RPE can be extremely effective as well. Um, so for strength training, I, I typically use RIR a lot. 
um, RPE sometimes um, for endurance work, um, especially of the like speed and interval and tempo variety. I like RPE a lot when I'm doing uh, more endurance, like true endurance, long aerobic stuff, long runs and the like. I tend to err more on the side of like heart rate and pace zones. I think a lot of times people, especially kind of new turn training, they're like, well, I ran 20 miles. That was an RPE nine for sure. Like, no, you were jogging. Like that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't an RPE nine. I know 20 miles sucks, but it wasn't that bad. Um, I think people kind of miss, <laughs> misinterpret it in that context. But generally for like longer aerobic work, I'm using some sort of power zone or heart rate zone or pace zone or, or that kind of thing, a breathing rhythm, a, a ventilatory threshold type test. Um, and then for more interval style, tempo stuff, you know, run a 5K at RPE 8, that kind of thing, I think it makes a little bit more sense. Mm. And then you monitor what speeds or what heart rates they're running at at that particular RPE and then use that as kind of like a way of monitoring progression. It's like the combination of subjective and objective. Yeah, and it depends on the type of workout a little bit. For example, the kind of uh, the heart rate limited run is very, very useful. So if we know that your ventilatory threshold is at 150 beats per minute, I can just say, all right, so I'll go run three miles or whatever at, at 100, uh, like I said, 150 beats a minute. Um, and then we can monitor, you know, how quickly are you, are you able to run that distance at that fixed pace? And we can see, use that as kind of an indicator of progress and overall training readiness and recovery and that kind of thing. And then we can also do that with RPE as well. If you just Every, say, aerobic workout, every Wednesday run, you start out with a one mile at RPE 7. Let's just see what that looks like on any given day. We could use that as an overall uh, indicator of fitness or training status and recovery as well. Okay. I'm really interested now to, now I kind of know your ideas around training. I want to know what's next after Murph. Yeah. Um, so Murph has definitely been taking up a lot of my time and attention for the last couple of months. I'm looking forward to, to getting it over with and kind of moving on to what's next. <laughs> the last couple of years has been much more focused on the, the strength side of things for me, putting on some additional muscle mass, uh, that kind of thing. I've not been running all that much or been too worried about my conditioning. So I plan on kind of changing that up a little bit post-MRF. Um, so I'm signed up for the Spartan 50K, Spartan Ultra in Hawaii in August. And then I'm running the Twin Cities Marathon in October. So I put some distance races on the calendar just to kind of force me to get, get my stride back and run a little bit more. Um, so definitely some, some long endurance races coming up. I'll continue to, to work on the strength. I'll continue to do some CrossFit type of stuff. Uh, but I am really excited and motivated to, to build the endurance back up, eventually leading towards um, the Crucible. The Crucible is an event hosted by Complete Human Performance um, every October. Uh, and it's kind of a, the, the culmination of, uh, of all things hybrid. Um, so it's four events over the course of a month. It's a 30 second bike sprint for max calories. So the, the famous Wingate test, it's a one arm kettlebell long cycle or what people refer to as the kettlebell half marathon, which is 30 minutes, uh, kettlebell clean and dirt for as many reps as possible. It's wow. a six hour endurance run. Um, so as far as you can run, um, or we have a bike option that we can, can scale distance with. Um, so six hour run or bike, uh, and then lastly, a super total. So squat, bench, deadlift, clean, jerk, and snatch all for your one RMs. So all four of those events put together, you know, ranging from the really short, uh, one RMs and 30 second sprints to more of that mid, mid range endurance, uh, with a 30 minute kettlebell cycle and eventually a six hour run. So a lot of different events going on at once. And then all those things get combined into one score. So that's kind of my next 
truly big thing is end of October uh, with a couple of long runs uh, between now and then. Wow. What was your score last year at the Crucible? So I, I'm proud to say I won the Crucible last year. Um, so overall, I, I think I took like seventh or something in the, the powerlifting and the bike sprint or the, the super total in the bike sprint. Those were not uh, as good for me. I took second in the kettlebell long cycle and first in the distance run. So my first, second, and then two seventh place finishes was enough for an overall win. Um, so this year I'm, I'm coming back stronger. Um, so I hope that my bike sprint and super total will be, will be better this time. Uh, hoping for an overall win again, but you never know who's going to show up. Mm. Do you find that because you've been doing Murph, yes, you've been doing some strength work, putting on a little bit of size. People say once you've started adding size, obviously you've got more weight, so that can affect your your running ability because you know every step is going to require more energy because you've got more mass to move. Do you find weight training has a little or big effect so that, that you have to deliberately train around to make sure it doesn't affect it too much? Do you find that actually has no effect at all? Like maybe a lot of your strength gains are based on skill and more neural rather than gaining mass. And you find that, you know, you're still main, able to maintain good endurance in running despite putting on mass for other skills that you need to do with hybrid training. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's certainly a cost to, to add in mass, but potential benefit as well. For me personally, I've gained about 20 to 25 pounds or so since my more running focused days, you know, six to eight years ago when I was in the Spartan pro team and, and all that kind of stuff, my short distance running. So like my mile times and that kind of thing have been largely unaffected. My easy aerobic paces have gotten a little bit slower. So like my heart rate controlled runs, you know, a set percentage of my heart rate max and, and that kind of thing. Those are a little bit slower than they used to be despite my, you know, speed times, not necessarily changing a whole lot. How much of that is actually related to added mass versus just change in training priorities and that kind of thing is, uh, you know, could be up for debate. At the end of the day, when we look at the limits of hybrid performance, people's overall body composition and body size and that kind of thing is going to be one of the biggest limiting factors that we run up against. You know, and we look at how fast can this really strong power lifter be. One of the main limiting factors is going to be, well, how big are they? That's definitely always going to be a huge limiting factor. In kind of small ranges, you know, should you gain five pounds of muscle, for example, is that going to slow you down or, or what's, what's that effect going to be? You know, talking about realistic or probable kind of weight gains or losses for the average hybrid athlete, I don't think that those are going to be super significant, you know, given proper training. If you do some hypertrophy work and put on three, four pounds of muscle, maybe drop a pound of fat, um, you know, improve your body composition a little bit. I don't think that's going to, you know, make or break your distance running by, by any means. More so an issue when we start looking at the extremes of, you know, how fast can this 240-pound athlete still run compared to, you know, the 140-pound marathon and that kind of thing. Huge difference there, of course, um, in the context, again, of, you know, should you weigh 160 or 165? Should you do a little hypertrophy work this offseason, whatever? Probably not a huge deal. Have you ever had any difficult conversations with new clients at Complete Human Performance where they might be coming to you, they're 230 pounds, uh, they w have hybrid goals, they generally have a history of strength training, but you know their strength could easily improve. But they, you know, have specific goals in, in endurance as well. And you think, well, you know, as you start training, you're going to lose a bit of fat, gain a bit of muscle. The weight will probably start to come down. But have you ever had any like conversations where, like, if you want to hit these endurance targets, we want to be in this kind of body weight range here? You know, I think a lot of people in the the more competitive space 
especially with the types of athletes we get at complete human performance that are, are fairly motivated, motivated and athletes are pragmatic and realistic for the most part in the sense that they know that, you know, if I lost some weight, I would be faster and that would definitely help. Um, I wouldn't say that conversations have ever been difficult in that sense, but for sure, in terms of just setting realistic expectations, um, a lot of times people were very gifted or one sport came very, very naturally to them to like, okay, you know, I am going to take up marathon running now. This should be a piece of cake. And it's not. <laughs> uh, so, it's, you know, having to kind of work with someone who they're struggling and having much more difficulty kind of taking up a, a particular sport than maybe they thought they would. Um, that can be a little bit challenging when people are frustrated that, you know, how come I'm not seeing progress here? You know, maybe they were a weightlifter for 15 to 20 years with significant success. And they thought that taking up running would be easy um, or vice versa, just kind of setting realistic goals and realistic expectations for someone of, you know, you're probably not going to hit that goal marathon time that you initially came in with progress is going to be a lot slower. Um, those types of conversations can be a little bit more tough. For anyone that's relatively new to hybrid training, what three pieces of advice would you give to them? Oh gosh, that's a, that's a big question. Uh, so it, advice for someone new to hybrid training, I think leveraging some kind of low impact cardio is, is hugely undervalued. So it, obviously if your version of hybrid training is, is like cycling and lifting or whatever, you're, you're already doing low impact work. But for a huge percentage of hybrid athletes, they're combining some sport, some sort of strength sport with, with running. I highly encourage hybrid athletes to utilize some kind of low impact modality. So whether you're doing, you know, recovery rides or some zone two work on, on a bike or an elliptical, um, doing incline walking, something like that, especially if you're on the heavier side. Um, so if you come from more of a strength background or you're just a, a larger, heavier person, those low impact modalities can be really helpful. But even if you're not um, I just find that much easier to get in some of that aerobic base work um, with less kind of interference with how you feel going into strength work if some of that aerobic work is done, done low impact. So utilize some of that for sure. That's a huge one. So the second piece of advice for someone new to hybrid training, I'll have to go with nutrition on this one. And this could, equal, this could be just as important for, for someone that's not necessarily a hybrid athlete. You know, nutrition is very, very important for any athlete, single sport athletes included, but especially for a hybrid athlete, making sure you're adequately fueled, hitting your protein targets, getting in plenty of carbohydrates, all of that kind of stuff um, is, is super, super important. Basically, all the details that already matter, you know, your sleep, your hydration, stress management, like all of those things that, that are important for any athlete. When you're a hybrid athlete, it just is amplified, right? Like the challenge is combining different sports, managing fatigue, all that kind of stuff. It makes some of those factors that like maybe you could have gotten away with, you know, a little bit less sleep, or maybe you could have gotten away with, you know, not quite hitting your macros as well as you should have or whatever. When you want to be a hybrid athlete, those things matter just that little bit more. So just making sure that you have all those other factors in check, I think is, is hugely important. I think that's brilliant advice. Great part to end up on. I think, I think that was an absolutely amazing episode because it really allowed us just to see what is required to be a hybrid athlete and how it all pieces everything together so thank you so much for coming on to the show if anyone has any questions where can they find you and more importantly if anyone that is listening wants to take part in the crucible how do they get involved with that yeah so follow me on instagram at alex um, you can always message me or look at my, my profile link all that kind of stuff for information and then for the crucible specifically at complete human performance 
um, or simplyhumanperformance.com. You can find information on our coaching and accessible competition. Brilliant. Yeah, we'll put everything like that on the show notes. We'll put it all over our Instagram as well to try and encourage as many people to head in your direction. But Alec, that was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Perfect. Thank you so much, Phil. Had a lot of fun. Thank you.